to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. I'm sure we all have an image of who we are. We all have an image of who we want to be, how we want to be portrayed, how we want to be perceived. We all have an image of our place in the world. And so we do an awful lot of doing. We uh, work, we uh, have recreational time, we interact with people, we will uh, dress in a certain way, do our hair and our makeup, and I'm just talking about the guys here right now. But, you know, then, you know, we'll present ourselves and because we want to be perceived. And we often feel that it's about what we do, who we interact with, who we uh, communicate with, who we're seen with. It's interesting to see that um, at times when you look at younger people, during adolescence in particular, where um, you see them trying to look like everyone who's popular and look like everyone else and, and look like they, they belong. Because they think in belonging, they have a value. And so we end up doing a lot in terms of how we are perceived. But then we forget this. We forget that in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 42, our Lord looks at Simon and he says to him, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated stone. Some people translate it as a rock, but it's actually a stone, something foundational. He doesn't say, I need you to do anything. He doesn't say, I need you to give off a certain image or a certain appearance. He said, you are. You are Cephas. And so the first thing about us that defines us is who we are. Who are we? The book of Genesis, first of all, tells us we are the image and likeness of God. Our Lord in the New Testament tells us that we are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. We are told that we were purchased, saved, fought for, all of this is who we are as God's creation and who he wants us to be in the world. And so the most important thing we want to focus on as Christians is who we are. I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week about being and doing. We do a lot. We do an awful lot in our lives whether it's profession, recreation, relationship, interaction, engagement, we do an awful lot. But we spend very little time being. Being who we are and being the image and likeness of God. And the way we do that is just, you know, as the expression says, doing what it says on the tin. Just be. So I need to focus on being the image and likeness of God. Doing is an interim stage. When I need to focus on 
doing the right thing, doing the honorable thing, doing the just thing, doing the right thing by everyone. When I need to focus on how I act and how I interact, so much energy goes into that that I'll do it for a while and I could actually end up not just doing it badly, but being resentful of it. Why do I need to keep pretending? Why do I need to keep looking like I'm happy or I like people? I mean, I don't like you. Why do I need, why do I need to pretend that I like you? And that, that's this conflict. Hopefully no one thinks that as you're looking at me. But I'm not reading your minds, I hope. But, but it is this concept of, you know, I don't want to be gracious. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to share things I have. I don't want to share my time, don't want to share my effort, don't want to share my emotions. I just want to be left alone. So why do I need to keep pretending? And that's where we fall into this paradox. You know, our Lord speaks about the the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple. One stands and makes long, eloquent prayers because that's what he does. But the other just stands being himself and asks forgiveness. And that's the very essence of being a Christian. That's our ultimate aim, just to be. There is always going to be a place for pushing ourselves just a little bit, for doing things we really don't need, don't feel like we're doing, like we should do. You know, to push ourselves beyond our limits, out of our comfort zone. We will sometimes think that, you know, okay, I, I need to be patient with this person. I need to be loving with this person. I need to be forgiving with this person. And that sometimes takes every ounce of energy. What is the tipping point? What suddenly changes who we are and what changes our existence? It is the swapping, the, be, the doing for the being. When my nature becomes naturally forgiving, that's just what I do in that time because it is who I am. So I am being forgiving. I am being loving. I am being sacrificial. I'm being gracious. I'm being patient. And of course, you know, this sounds very idealistic. And, and I am speaking about best case scenario here. I'm speaking about where we need to be aiming, what we what we need to be approaching. And there's a lot in the way. But from my own experience, from the experience of the fathers we read, you know, time after time, from the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ himself in his ministry, people can tell the difference between our being and our doing. They tell the difference between Peter as Cephas, 
Saul as Paul, because that's just that's who Saul became. He wasn't Saul struggling with being gracious and forgiving. He just became Paul. He just was Paul. It's beautiful that in our tradition we have infant baptism. You know, some of you, most of you here have been baptized as infants, some of you as adults. But in baptism, we usually have a baptismal name. And it's a name of a saint. Sometimes it coincides with the saint of the day. Sometimes it coincides with a patron saint. Sometimes it's just a saint that I like. And it is in that rebirth that we find ourselves as Christians. Of course, our... our um, Protestant sisters and brothers talk about being born again in, in various manifestations. And for us, we believe in being born again. But for us, being born again is sacramentally in baptism. Because with St. Paul, we say we die with Christ, we are buried with him, but then we rise with him as well. As a new creation. As a new person. Someone who was one thing and comes out of this process something else. You know, I've, I've experienced this as an adult, not baptism, but monasticism. So when I was consecrated a monk, um, has anyone attended a consecration of monks or nuns? It's interesting because it's in two halves, the service in two halves. The first half is actually a full funeral service. And, you know, away from all tradition and just by providence, my father was actually in Egypt when I became a monk. And um, he was told beforehand, although that's not usual practice. And so he attended my consecration as a monk. And I must say, it must have been the saddest day of his life. Because he saw his son lying on the floor of a church, in front of the sanctuary, covered, totally covered, with a full funeral service prayed over him. So we have that. I had a full funeral service prayed over me. My biggest struggle was trying not to sleep. <laughs> I actually had to nudge my brother monk next to me because he started snoring. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. Father Pigol, I'm very sorry. But it's out now. He'd been working all night. He was, he was beneath, it would actually cover us with the, with the altar curtain. And he actually, I heard him snoring, and the Pope was there. Pope Schneider consecrated us. And I thought, rather than them going back on their word and suddenly saying, okay, guys, you don't qualify, go home, and you can stay up all night and come play with the big boys. Um, I, I nudged him and got him to wake up. But the first half is a full funeral service. I heard my own funeral. I heard those prayers over myself. I died to the world. And when I rose, my life changed. Not only did I become a member of that monastic community, but my, my name changed. So my birth name was replaced 
by an ecclesial name given to me by the Pope. My family name changed from being my, my family name to the name of the monastery that I now belong to. My dress sense changed. <laughs> and it becomes a, a full change. The appearance of name of life. So I know what it means to be reborn. And that's what we need as Christians, to be reborn. To be a new creation. Not to pretend, not to act as, not to take on the appearance of, but to be a new creation. And that takes a lot of submission. It takes a lot of trust. For me to say, I'm something new, something other than what I am familiar with, something that didn't exist before. So, Peter is a fisherman. Suddenly he's asked to leave everything, drop his nets, leave his family, leave his village, leave his profession, and follow. And from that point on, he was no longer Peter the fisherman. He was the disciple. He wasn't acting. He wasn't doing. He was becoming a fisher of men. A complete transformation. And so we need also to be transformed in that way. St. Paul speaks to us about a renewal of our minds, a metanoia. A complete change. Because as long as my mind functions in the world, as the world directs me, I will sometimes go with it, and sometimes I'll go against it, but for the optics. So I don't want to go the way of the world. I don't want to be materialistic and selfish and ungracious, unkind. So I need to look like a Christian. I need to act in a Christian way and live a Christian life. That's fine. But if you look at any, any actor, right, when he or she takes on a persona, accent, character, lifestyle, takes on the whole persona. You can't live that permanently. The minute you come offset, you go back to your own person. And so if we are constantly just trying to act in a certain way, or live a certain way, without being that, then it cracks very quickly. At the first sign of pressure, it cracks and it breaks. At the first challenge, I'm no longer gracious and loving and forgiving and patient. I'm just grouchy and resentful and angry. Because it's not coming from within. Some of the, some of the simplest imagery is always the most effective. And you know, if you have a sponge that is filled with, you know, you've just washed your car, it is dirty water, and you squeeze it, what do you get? Dirty water. If you wash it out, 
and you soak it in clean water and you squeeze it, you get clean water. It's just, it's who we are that comes out. And so, you know, as long as you have this, this sponge that has this dirty water in it, it might be at the core and it looks really nice on the outside. But the minute you get a squeeze, the minute you get that, that, that pressure, you get what's on the inside. And so that shows who we are. My aim in my life, and I hope yours in yours, is to try to make the inside that presence of God and that graciousness that means that when I'm squeezed, what comes out is who I am, is the, the, the love of God, the spirit of God, the forgiveness. About three years ago now, I think, um, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, or even if he does, We'll see. Metropolitan Bachomius was here. He was the locum tenens, the interim patriarch between Pope Shenouda and Pope Tadros. And he was very unwell. He arrived here in a coma. And he was in a coma for about two weeks. And I stood by his bed for hours sometimes. And of course, we're told that when someone is in that state of vulnerability, you've got to make sure only the closest people are there because they are subconsciously revealing what's inside. You know, that's why you hear all these stories about people who say the most horrendous things when they're under general anesthetic. Although doctors aren't supposed to tell us. But you know, it, it's things that they say because they, there's no filter. Being beside Metropolitan Bahamas' bed, all I actually heard from him, and this is not an exaggeration, was psalms. Literally, he was reciting, audibly, I heard them with my own ears, he was reciting psalms. He was calling on the saints. He was asking God's mercy. And this is just his subconscious. Now, the man is with us. May God give him a long life. He is not a saint, although he may live a saintly life. He doesn't have a halo around his head. He lives life with us. He is flesh and blood. But he was just in that state. He was being. And that's what we need to arrive at. To be. To be godly. To be the image and likeness, as we said right at the beginning. What does it mean to be the image and likeness? It means to have those same characteristics of God that he keeps to himself. His love, his forgiveness, his graciousness, his selflessness. Laying down his life for us. That's what he said. There was no greater love. Asked about forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. Asked about loving and hating, he told us to love even those who hate us. 
that's who we become when we are just being the image and likeness of God. And so my challenge to you today is to be. And the way to do that is to soak up as much as possible. Soak up your scriptures. Soak up your prayers. Soak up the life of Christ. Soak up the messages of love and forgiveness. Soak up God's love for you that is so great that he not only became flesh, but having become flesh, he laid down his life. Soak that up. And when you soak it up, when it becomes part of you, when we're squeezed, and we're all squeezed, we're all squeezed, in different ways, different times, to different extents, but we're all squeezed. When we're squeezed, we just become him. When we walk down the street, in our workplaces, in our families, in our homes, we are just his presence. We are his light. And so the greatest gift that God has ever given us is his image and his likeness. Because in it, when we are that image and likeness, we are the closest that we can be to him and his presence in the world. So that as we live, we spend less time doing, running, acting, and we spend more time absorbing so that we can just be his children and his image and his likeness. And glory be to God forever.